Let me say, as I've had some conversations this morning in, in the first service and a, and a couple here at this service, we know a few uh, of our friends are coming back from up north, and so if that is you this morning, welcome back. I didn't say that at the beginning, but we are, uh, we're glad to have many of our, our part-time residents um, back with us, and we're certainly delighted at whoever brought the cooler weather. Thank you um, for that, and uh, looking forward to that later on today, especially as uh, for the trunk or treat. Um, this morning, we're going to, uh, we're going to continue in Thessalonians. This is where we were, if you worshiped last week, we read from the first chapter of Thessalonians, uh, specifically focused on gratitude, focused on that attitude of, of our lives that, that hopefully impacts our relationships, not just our gratitude to God. It always starts there. But we looked at Paul's gratitude to the church in Thessalonica, his appreciation of them. And, and the challenge was, if you were here and if, if you weren't, you know, the challenge was, do we model that in our own lives? Do the people that matter to us, the people in our lives, the people that we bump into daily and weekly, do they hear words of gratitude? Do they know that they're appreciated and they make a difference? And how well does that become a character of our very lives? In the second chapter this morning, we're going to read here Paul's, it's part of a, a defense of his ministry, which we'll, we'll talk about briefly, but it also gives some deeper insight into the reason for that gratitude, what Paul sees in the church that is, is so important to him that, that also, I think, begins to, to have something to speak into our lives and to challenge us in our own faith and in our walk with Christ. So let's pick up at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is what Paul writes. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Brothers and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, bless, strengthen our, our resolve to be open to your Holy Spirit. 
Uh, Bless these reading, bless these words, that they would be of you and that they would be used by you to draw us close to Christ and close to one another. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So here's one of the great frustrations of my life. Great struggles, not in a specific issue, but, but kind of an overarching struggle in my life. Is as much as, as I've been blessed to um, have been able to achieve in my life, as, as you have, we all have victories, we have things that we're thankful that we've done and that we can celebrate in our lives. Uh, there are so many areas that, that I struggle with putting a what I would say is a desire, something I want to achieve, something I want to, to become, um, putting, putting those dreams, if you will, into action. There, there's sometimes it's a chasm for me between what I say I want and what I actually do. And, and you may have heard, you know, dreams without actions is a wish. You know, there's, there's too many areas in my life that are just wishes because, because for whatever reason, and there's not a reason, I haven't been able or I haven't done, maybe I shouldn't say been able, that makes me passive. I haven't done the things necessary to actually either accomplish or change or do whatever that, that dream may be. It's, it's that chasm between what I say I want and actually doing the things that help me achieve that. And that is not new to me. There are probably areas in your life you go, yeah, I struggle with that in some areas too. I, I've got some areas that, that, that that's a reality for me too. And, and so there was a, a, a writer, um, Harvey Price, who, who started interviewing college professors, educators, and asking them about this challenge and, and how do you begin to move to action? How do you move, what's the art of moving people to action? And they came up with these four truths that, that he put together. They're, they're not the most profound things you've ever heard. They're, they're not going to blow you away, but, but they're significant. And this is what he said. He, they, they came up with this. He said that what the mind um, attends to, what the mind gives attention to, um, it, uh, it considers. What the mind gives attention to, it considers. And, and the opposite of that is that what the mind Dis, or the mind doesn't give attention to it, dismisses. So, so the, the, the implication here is that, you know, if, if you start to spend some time with something, you're, you're wrestling with it, you're contending with it. But if something comes across you, a belief, a statement of, of some kind of faith or action, uh, and you, you immediately just hmm, push it aside, then you've dismissed it, obviously. Now, now, here's where it continues. So that what the mind gives attention to, it considers. What the mind gives consistent attention to, it begins to believe. So now we've moved from, from kind of studying it to beginning to spend time with it regularly, to begin to form habits of, of thought or practice. What the mind gives consistent attention to, it believes. And then the final truth was this. What the mind believes, the body does. In other words, that what you begin to believe impacts what you begin to do. And that's where so many of us, me, in too many areas of my life, that's where the chasm develops. That, that I don't give enough, n- enough attention to some things to become life-shaping beliefs that drive action. And, and that can happen in relationally relationships. It can happen in physical practices. And it can happen spiritually. 
that we get, we get lost sometimes between that challenge of, of faith becoming action. And remember what James says, faith without works is dead, or it isn't. And so, so how do we move in that way? And so, so the, the start becomes, what are we giving attention to? That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, right now, it's interesting. When Paul was in Thessalonica, he had come from Philippi, where he had, been, where he had suffered for the gospel. And, and at this point, could have been nursing the bruises of that. But in his letter back to that church, um, which, is, which is a letter of, of great joy, which is a letter of great um, love, it's, one of, it's, it's my favorite of Paul's letters, he says in Philippians 4, 8, words that, that may be familiar to you, he says, whatever's good and pure and holy, uh, what's above reproach, whatever is praiseworthy, he says, think on these things. Give attention to these things in um, uh, computer language. Uh, I think around coding and programming, Sam would know this better. Uh, there's a garbage in, garbage out. You know, give attention to the things that, that are praiseworthy and noteworthy. That's why as, as parents, when children, are, especially when they're little, we are so protective of what they watch, right? Because we don't want, we don't want their mind and we don't want them shaped by things that would, would corrupt their thinking or, or corrupt them in other ways. But it's true for each of us. Paul says, think about those things. Give attention to those things that shape you in praiseworthy, positive ways. Be attentive and be aware of that threat. Garbage in, garbage out. Now, here's the truth. And this is what Paul's saying. If we change that G, we can give that negative phrase a much more positive connotation. Rather than garbage in, garbage out, what if we become aware that goodness in, goodness out. Grace in, grace out. God in, God out. If we begin to give attention to those practices, those, those turning our minds to the things of God to take in, to be shaped by, to give attention to, then what will come from us, the, the habits, the actions, the practices will be reflective of that attention to faith and to God's work within our lives. And that's, that's the heart of what I think he's saying to the church. In fact, if I looked at, as I was reading through and preparing, looking just at that last verse that we read here in Thessalonians, verse 13, he says, we thank God continually, which again is continuing that gratitude we talked about. We thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, so you became aware you accepted it not as human word, but as it, what it actually is, the word of God. So again, you gave attention to it. And that attention and that continual attention, when he says you accepted it, that became belief. You became believers. You became followers. And then he says this. He says, but, or which is indeed at work. He said, you accept it as it is, actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So, so he's giving a model that is very similar to what I was talking about, that, that the church, these, these first Christians, that they came to become aware of the gospel. They were confronted with the gospel, and they begin, began to give it their attention. They began to give it their consistent attention, so much so that it became their faith. They received it as truth. They received the gospel of the good news of Jesus. And then what he celebrates, what he thanks God for, and this permeates the letter, is that their faith became their action. 
what they believed, what they learned, what they spent time with, began to shape what they did and who they became. And is that not the, the call of, of Christ? Is that not our desire in Christ that, that what we profess to believe becomes the evidence of what we do? In fact, that's what we get criticized most for. And you criticize others, and I criticize others sometimes, for the hypocrisy, which we are all guilty of. Let's stop right there. But sometimes that, that our actions don't correspond with what we profess and the kind of lives that, that we're called to live. So how do we begin to build um, a congruency between those two things? Well, it becomes attentive. Attentive first to what we take in. To what we take in. God in. How do you begin to allow God to, to shape your life through the daily practices of faith? You know, how is, how is there consistency there? If, if I say to you, you know what? My great goal, my number one goal is I want to lose weight. That's what I want to do. And then every time you see me, on the plate in front of me are Snickers bars and French fries. <laughs> That's quite a combination. Snickers bars and French fries. You immediately know that the habits, I'm, the practices are not consistent with the profession. Right? I want to lose weight, I want to be healthy, but I'm going to do it this way. It doesn't work that way. Now, the same is true of our spiritual journeys, our spiritual walk. We cannot claim that we desire to grow in faith. We cannot say that I want to be close to God through the presence of Christ at work in my life. I want to be open to the Holy Spirit. If we don't build practices daily that invite Jesus in. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I don't bust the door down. Invite me in. How do you daily, what are your practices that invite Jesus in? And I'm talking about the practices of scripture reading. I'm talking about the practice of, of personal and private prayer, wherever that works for you. I'm talking about quiet times when you open yourself up to learn to hear from God. How do you build those practices? Because they become the habits that form our action. But, but are you intentional to that, to the private practices of faith. So there's an individual challenge of that, and then there's the weekly challenge, what, what I call the communal challenge or opportunity of faith, which is this right here, which is coming in worship to not only connect with God, that I was always first and foremost, worship is what we offer to God. Worship is not about what you receive. That's a secondary blessing. Hear me say that. Worship is about what you offer. And we give to God our praise and worship. We come to connect with God through the presence of His Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But you know, the benefit here is that we also connect with each other. We share life together. We share our journeys. We share our stories. It's the same thing in Bible studies and small groups. The places that we can come to connect with others in the journey. And that can become the greatest blessing. I can tell you, you can come in here on a Sunday morning. I mean, I pray you don't. But you could come in on a Sunday morning and the music could be awful. You could just hate it. And you could come and go, you know what? That sermon tanked. I didn't say anything to me. I don't know what he was talking about. Those two things could be true. And you could walk out going, but wow, did I experience the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Because you experience it through the relationships. Now, I hope those first two things are not true. Okay, let's, let's preface that. It was the, the negative example. 
But the point is that that's not the first important. We connect with each other. But, but these are both the opportunities which God speaks into us. See, that's the thing. It is what we are breathing in. It's what we are we're taking in that gift of God's unconditional, unmerited grace and his desire to connect with us through his Holy Spirit. What are you taking in? When you look at the, the habits of your life daily, spiritually speaking, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, do you prioritize that connection with God and the breathing in of who he is? Because when we do that, then what happens is our habits, what we are consistently giving attention to, begins to change our behavior. And your faith becomes evident, not because you're standing on a corner preaching Jesus, but because you're connecting with others and living Jesus. You become an embodiment. That's what, that's what Paul celebrates about the church. And, so, and, and that's what Paul tried to model. And that's why this part of the letter is so significant, because what you can read if you spend some time really listening to what he's saying is Paul's being attacked. Paul's being attacked by those who have come into the church who are saying Paul's only in it for him. Paul's greedy. Paul wants to make money. He wants to elevate his profile. He wants to make a name for himself. Whatever attacks they're giving, that's what's happening. Paul's getting criticized. Those of us that are in ministry constantly have to remind ourselves, I have to remind myself, if Paul got attacked, Jesus got attacked, we know. Paul got attacked. The rest of us better accept that from time to time it's going to happen. And that's what's happening here. His integrity is being attacked. And Paul says, and he affirms, he's like, we came to you expecting nothing. We came, we poured into you. We didn't come to take. We did everything we could to take nothing from you. But to just freely give the gospel, to share the gospel, to care for ourselves and not be a burden to you. And what he's saying is, we, we didn't come with any strings attached. We didn't come with expectations. See, because that becomes the, the example of a lived out faith. It becomes a faith that gets lived out in such a way that our desire, our greatest desire, is to share and to give with the expectation of nothing in return. That's agape love. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus says over and over and over again. What he models, give freely. Give freely with no expectation of return. And Paul turns to this example of a parent with a child. That, that's a mother with her infant or a father with his, his sons and daughters of this kind of love that God gives. Paul says that's what we sought to do because those of you that have been in the care of children, whether they're biological children, uh, grandchildren, caring in some other aspect, know that, that with, with, especially with little ones, as a, as a father or mother or, or caregiver, that love is given with, with no strings attached. You know, we didn't, when, when Ryan was little, we didn't say, hey, kid, we'll love you, but, but the condition is you've got to sleep through the night. If you don't, because he wouldn't have been loved. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't say to the kids, hey, we'll love you as long as you, you know, you eat everything and you don't cry and you never do this. That's not love. That's not love. It's freely, freely given. So Paul says, becomes the character of our lives. That becomes the, 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 the exempt, the lived out Jesus is, do you freely live love? Do you give it freely with, with no strings attached? Is your life, are, are there others impacted by your life and by the gospel in you? When I started ministry as an associate pastor at St. Paul, I've talked about 
experiences at St. Paul a number of times over the years. But when, when Tony and I moved to Largo, right out of seminary, I was the second associate on staff at St. Paul. I was mid-20s, just beginning my ministry. The other associate was at the opposite end of the continuum, Bill Fritz, a pastor who'd retired in Canada, came down to, to be on staff at St. Paul. This was undoubtedly going to be his last ministry assignment. Not going to be his last ministry. Bill was one of those guys that he was going to serve Jesus until he breathed his last. But, but this was going to be his last appointment, if you will. And so you've got the, the, you know, the, the young buck who thinks he knows a lot, knows nothing. And you've got the, the seasoned veteran who's kind of on that tail end of his ministry. And a lot of times that perception of ministers at that point, or anybody, is that they're, they're coasting in, right? That they're coasting in. Well, let me tell you what. There was no coast in Bill Fritz. There was no, we're just going to kind of go in slow. No, he was going to bust the door down until the day he was done. And he had a passion for Jesus. But let me tell you what, that passion he brought in got lived out in a very unique and powerful ministry. He had a heart's call for special needs adults. He just had a passion for, for special needs, um, not just adults, kids and adults, but, but specifically for the adults. And he poured his life into a ministry they, he called handicapable ministry. Uh, a ministry of just of providing a space for special needs adults to come and be in fellowship and to worship. Because, you know, special needs adults ministry or special needs ministry is messy ministry. You know, it's, it's not uh, neat and clean and organized. No ministry really is. But this is a unique kind of thing. But he poured his heart into it. Because he breathed Jesus in so deeply, this is how he breathed Jesus out. And, and there was no strings attached. He wasn't doing this because he was getting some benefits because it's what he felt God called him to. And so a year before we got there, he started with seven special needs adults. He started recruiting some adult volunteers to come and to be in relationship. And they would plan worship events and they would plan outings and they would do life together. And that became handicapable ministry. Bill Fritz left St. Paul, I don't know, 15 years ago. Today, there's over 200 special needs people, adults, that are part of that ministry because he just couldn't wait to give Jesus to people. He couldn't wait to share that, the habits and the practices of his faith and of his, of his devotions and his life with, with Christ just shaped everything that he did, everything that he did. And man, I learned so much from Bill without ever speaking a word to him. I mean, we spoke all the time, but, but what I learned from him was not from the things, just from the things he said, but from the life that he lived. What are people learning from you? What are they experiencing from you? You know, it always begins with this free gift that Jesus gives. But, but when Paul says that, that God has begun a work in you, understand he doesn't mean it's just in here. He means it's a work that begins to spill out and begins to, to just wash over others. And, and he says, that's a, that's a love that we give freely, like a parent to a child, with, with no expectation of what we will get in return. We do it simply because that's what God's done for us, right? We love because he first loved us. We give because that's what Jesus pours into us, an unconditional love. This is the model that became impactful. You know what um, Tuesday is? You know what Tuesday is? Yep, you know what else it is? Well, it's the day before. It is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. 
October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church and began what was a revival, what he hoped was revival in the Catholic Church that became a Protestant Reformation. We're part of that wave. Um, United Methodism is a merging of United Brethren and Methodism. Methodism was an offshoot of the Anglican Church, but United Brethren was part of that lineage of the Protestant Reformation of, of Martin Luther. And he was deeply and profoundly shaped by this understanding of the love of God as a parent freely pours into a child. What's interesting, he wasn't early on in his life. He'd had a very rough childhood. His father was a very cold and unloving man. And so that image of God really was a struggle for him. But in the course of his life and, and his call, he, he fell in love with a, a nun of all people by the name of um, Catherine von Bora, I believe. And there's an interesting story of how he helped smuggle her and some other nuns out of the nunnery. Um, in, in some stories say in or surrounded by empty fish barrels. If you love someone after they've been around dead fish, that is love. That is love. And they, they got married, this former monk and this former nun, and got married. And it began to reshape. And when he had children, he profoundly understood the power of this free love of God that's given. And that would have a significant impact on what Protestant Reformation was about, was recognizing God's free gift that we don't earn. That we don't earn, but is freely given. But then we're called to share that. So I, I guess the question becomes, what's the evidence of the work in you that God's doing? What's the way, not just that God is shaping you internally, but how is that spilling out? How are you breathing out, if you will? And, and letting that love touch others. Because that's our call. That's our call. That's who we're called to be in Christ. God has begun a work in you, but always understand that means that God desires to do a work through you. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we begin always with words of gratitude, with a thankful heart for the gift you have freely given. That is the gift of Jesus Christ in which we have life and we have salvation and we have the promise of today, tomorrow, and always. But Lord, also remind us that that faith, when genuine real, begins to shape our habits and that habits shape our actions. And that, that faith and that love gets lived out, freely given. Help us to live that out, whether that be in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, where we work, or other mission field you've called us to. Help us to live that out, for that is the call of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to receive and to give freely and with grateful hearts. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.